Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. So we're your hosts, I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Riho Okawa. Riho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. All right, so today's episode is on the laws of great enlightenment. Always walk with Buddha. The contents of today's episode are from this book. Chapter 1. The enemy is within you. Do not let your mind control you, but control your mind. Chapter 2. The power to forgive sins. Have the courage to forgive both yourself and others. Chapter 3. Work ability and enlightenment. How to become a person who can bring happiness to many. Chapter 4. The moment of great enlightenment. The mystical, multidimensional space revealed by the great enlightenment. Chapter 5. Always walk with Buddha. Study the laws of the mind and put them into practice all through your life. This amazing book was the seventh book of Riho Okawa's Laws series. He has published many laws series, and this book was translated into English and published in 2019. It is still in bookstores today, and you'll find so much wisdom within this book. John, I know this book is your favorite or one of your favorites. Absolutely. So can you describe what this book is about and what is Great Enlightenment? Yeah, um, I mean, The Laws of Great Enlightenment is just a really excellent book about Buddhism. It really presents a very fresh and innovative take on Buddhism, which is applicable to people today. You know, there's nothing wrong with reading the older texts and interpretations of older texts and so on and so forth of Buddhism uh, or any religion for that matter. But it's also nice to have new teachings, uh, which Ryohokawa demonstrates himself as being more than capable of providing. So Great Enlightenment, specifically, I, I believe what Ryokawa implies by that is a sense of, it has that sense of oneness with the universe, that realization that we are, everything is connected, we are connected to everybody and everything, and that is connected to the mind of God, essentially, or Buddha, which are uh, the same thing. But it, it allows you to experience that state without what's often taught today in spiritual teachings, uh, which is egolessness or even emptiness. You know, these concepts which essentially make it very difficult to live in the world. I mean, you can't live in the world without an ego. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, that's so true. And it sounds so difficult to become one with the universe. But in the preface of the book, he also says that anyone can experience the gentle yet profound feeling when you're reading this. So that is like a mini nirvana or a kind of small state of deep contemplation or meditation that you'll get just by reading this book because it has a lot of stories within it. And John, so Riho Okawa has published a lot of Buddhism-related titles, but you said it's different than the old texts in some ways. Can you clarify, like, in which ways are most important in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, if we're going to, we can compare it to different things. I mean, we can compare it to the Vajrayana Buddhism of Tibet. We can compare it to Zen Buddhism of uh, that developed in China and even more so in Japan. But I, I think that what's special about these teachings is that they feel like a return to Shakyamuni Buddha's original teachings in a way that is explained that is relevant today. So, I mean, some of the major differences is like 
you know, the idea, there's an idea taught today frequently that enlightenment is just something that can happen spontaneously or something that you, once you achieve it, then that's it. So a lot of people meditate and they try to become spiritual and they're just, they have their mindset on this idea, I have to become enlightened. And uh, one thing that I really enjoyed about this book is that Ryokawa explains that enlightenment isn't, it's not necessarily an end goal. It's more of a process that is always developing. So it's something that even when we reach a state of enlightenment, there are many stages of enlightenment, and it's something that has to be maintained. So it's something that requires a continuous work. It's not something static. Mm, that is really true. And you mentioned it's applicable to today. Especially, I want to focus in that regard on chapter three, workability and enlightenment. This is a kind of, this was a breakthrough for me to understand this concept that the higher your enlightenment, the higher your work ability should become. The two are connected. And I think most people tend to think the opposite is true, that those who are enlightened are unable to really get on in this world or able to succeed in this world. But I mean, just look at Riho Okawa. He's got such a great enlightenment that he's been able to give so many teachings and help so many different types of people. And he succeeded in the material world by creating like a university and a huge religious movement, as well as media, politics and charity work. So you see so much success and enlightenment by the same individual. And he's trying to show us how to do the same, I feel. Without having to live in a mountain retreat and separate yourself from civilization. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He, he also talks in this book about uh, not going crazy or not becoming completely irrational and estranged. He talks about the story of Angulamala in chapter one. Angulamala was someone who thought enlightenment could be attained through murdering people. He thought that by killing a certain amount of people, he could attain enlightenment. And it was said that he wore a garland of fingers as a necklace around his neck. He was killing so many people and he was about to kill his own mother as his last victim. However, he was admonished by Shakyamuni Buddha and told to repent and self-reflect. So he renounced the world and became a monk. And the people had a lot of anger towards him. They would often throw rocks and um, cause him to bleed. But Buddha told him to keep his dignity and endure it because that was his essentially reaping of his karma. It talks in further detail about this idea of not losing your rational perspective on the pursuit of enlightenment, which we see many types of gurus and people who tend to go into these retreats tend to do. They tend to lose their connection to the material world. I think that's really an important point for all seekers. I agree. Something I really enjoyed in this book was that Ryokawa discussed uh, just the basic concept that all humans have basic desires. You know, we, we all have material needs and bodily needs that need to be fulfilled in life. And we don't necessarily need to uh, deny that. Because that creates a complex, because then when we continue to feel those things, when we're trying not to, then we're going to feel guilty about it. And completely removing ourselves from the, the fact that we are humans, even though we are spiritual beings incarnated as humans, 
you know, it just doesn't really amount to a comprehensive sense of enlightenment. So instead of denying the basic desires that we all have, what, what is suggested is to just pursue them in moderation. Mm. Because most things done in moderation aren't really a bad thing. Kind of, and, and that ties into what I was saying before about not necessarily having to be in a state of egolessness. Because uh, we have egos. We need an ego to survive in the world. You know, it's most of us, uh, if we want to pursue the path of enlightenment, we don't want to go stay in a monastery. We don't want to isolate ourselves from the world, from our families, from our spouses, children, and so on and so forth. And we don't have to. It's, you know, providing we can learn to live a life in moderation and continue to self-reflect and to um, keep our mind attuned to that in intention of maintaining and progressing our state of enlightenment. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that tends to take the more Theravada approach of our personal improvement and our personal pursuit of enlightenment. But this book also talks about the more Mahayana approach, such as the power to forgive sins, and also this concept of Buddhism being free and tolerant. He says that the two main characteristics of Buddhism are freedom and peace. Buddhism is an extremely liberal religion. It is not restrictive, and this is reflected in its teachings as well. And going back to chapter 2, the power to forgive sins, it sounds almost like a Christian approach, but actually these ideas came from Buddha. These ideas of accepting the uncontrollable, accepting awkwardness, going through these problems like there's an example of a car accident and forgiving the driver to purify our mind and it talks about even business and exams and these modern things that we face in this current incarnation of ours but mistakes are valuable experiences is the essential point mistakes lead us to our future growth and we can learn more from failure than we can from success. So we shouldn't fear failure. In fact, we should use our failures to expand our minds and become more developed as religious people. I, I love that approach. So John, what does this concept of walking with Buddha mean in, in chapter five? It says, always walk with Buddha. Could you clarify what that means? Walking with Buddha, you know, I, th I think there's a misconception that like Buddha is somehow separate from God. And when you realize that they essentially embody that same reality, walking with Buddha is keeping one's mind, which one's true self, which is the innermost part of oneself, like attuned with God or Buddha at all times, um, you know, being aware of the law and cause and, of, of, and effect, striving always to progress using that law having a sense of peace of mind in knowing that we are attuned with Buddha, even when we're busy and we're going about our life in the world, you know, just in our jobs and our interpersonal relationships and so on, realizing that our mind is free and that our thought energy um, is essentially like a magnet. And I think we discussed that when we were talking about the real exorcist a few weeks back. And it's true, you know, our thoughts are like magnets. And whatever we're attuned to, tuning our thoughts to is what's going to come to us. So when we maintain our thoughts on God or Buddha, then we will be walking with Buddha at mm. all times. Yeah, and that 
gets back to the point of meditation and enlightenment. Right. Because we all seek peace of mind. We all want peace through, and a lot of people practice meditation in the modern age. But the author clarifies that the purpose of meditation is to connect with the spiritual world and to connect with the oneness of Buddha, to connect with our innermost diamond, which is called Buddha nature in Buddhism. It is our trace as being created as children of Buddha, and it's our path to practice the teachings and study the teachings in order to fully develop our Buddha nature and shine our light brighter into the world. So that essentially leads to this idea of missionary work, which most people associate with Christianity. But essentially, the Buddhism form of missionary work is spreading the teachings and spreading the light from Buddha into the world and making this world a better place. All these ideas came from Shakyamuni Buddha long ago, but have been misconstrued or forgotten. That is why the author, Riho Kawa, is bringing them back into the modern age. Because he himself experienced great enlightenment on March 23rd of 1981. He experienced this time of becoming one with the universe, of expanding his spiritual body to the size of the entire universe, and then becoming one with everything and coming back into his body. So we can learn a lot and benefit a lot from his perspective since he actually practiced what he preaches. He also rekindles the flame of Buddha because he was the Buddha. What that means is he discovered through his enlightenment that he was Shakyamuni Buddha 2,600 years ago. He has returned. It is said that the Buddha will be reborn in the era of terminal dharma, when the teachings of Buddha are corrupted or lost. That is why Buddha returned to restore his true teachings into this hectic and busy world, which is filled with desires, materialism, and the chance of world war with nuclear weapons and these state powers which are imposing dictatorial regimes on the people. Buddha had to return in such a militant and flame-filled era to quell these desires and quell these flames, bringing peace back to the world. So that is why he's returned, and that is why Riho Okawa published this book especially, to help us understand his enlightenment and the enlightenment of Buddha. I think uh, that's a really important point. <clears throat> and I could understand how you know people might be skeptical of that idea. Because there's been a lot of people who have claimed to be the reincarnation of Buddha. But aside from, you know, various prophecies and timeframes associated with Ryokawa's claim to that, it's worth noting, I think, that uh, there's, a, a, there's a peculiar similarity between Shakyamuni and Ryokawa in that they both excel at uh, managerial skills. And that was something discussed in this book, that a big reason for Shakyamuni Buddha's success was that being born as a prince, uh, he was trained in managerial skills and in economics in preparation for him to become a leader. And uh, in a similar fashion, Ryokawa was trained um, in business school. And so he learned certain managerial and, and economic skills that would allow him to propagate these teachings at this time where even though there seems to be an abundance of spiritual teachings, they are essentially all watered down. Yeah, you, you said it greatly. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence that he is the Buddha besides that. 
Just a few is that, for example, in 1956, around the Asian world, it was widely celebrated, most countries shut down their government, to celebrate the rebirth of Buddha in 1956, because it was long foretold that 2,500 years after Buddha's death, he would be reborn. And in fact, that year turned out to be 1956. There are just maybe a few religious leaders that were born in that time, but if you look at the merit of their efforts, if you look at the size of their religious groups or their spiritual schools, you'll find that Happy Science, created by Riho Okawa, a man born in the age of Buddha's rebirth, turned out to be something that spread to over 100 countries and has become the biggest and most influential new religious movement in Japan. That is essentially a proof that he is the Buddha, and his teachings are essentially the ultimate proof that he, he verifies in this book that these are the words of Shakyamuni, these are the words of the Buddha. So I highly recommend you to pick up this book at major bookstores or on okawabooks.com or amazon.com. Again, this is The Laws of Great Enlightenment. And we thank you for, again, tuning in to Okawa Book Club each week. We hope we're benefiting you, and we hope you're learning about these great and fascinating teachings. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, though. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive. <laughs>